So, uh, welcome to everyone to Sweet 16, episode 16 of Required Reading, a film podcast. Welcome to you one and all. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, This is a film podcast with a little bit of a difference. It's more of a book club, but with films. It's... um, invites you to watch a film first and then come and listen to the podcast so um, there are there will be spoilers and uh, we'll discuss the film um, in length and um, the film that we are discussing this week is a film called Horse Girl but first let's introduce my co-rider part of my posse uh, Dan say hi Dan Hi, Alex. That was the first time I did that intro. That was definitely the first take. And um, and yeah, how are you doing, Dan? I'm excellent. Yes, are you ready? Raring to, to go. Raring to go at the starting gate. I am ready to talk about the um the film Horse Girls, starring um Alison Brie. Um, kind of interested to see where this one goes because. Sometimes I feel this podcast has become maybe slightly a recommendation by proxy, by mm. choosing films that we think that we kind of know that we're going to like, like maybe by critical response or maybe someone said something and we kind of know it's going to be great. And this one, I went into not knowing anything about it whatsoever. So I was yeah, quite that, interested to going cold, as it were. Yeah, and that was part of the reason that I, I chose it because I'd heard a little about it via mm. the Sundance Film Festival uh, and I was very surprised to find it on Netflix so soon after its appearance there. I don't know if Netflix picked it up at Sundance mm-hmm. or if it was already a done deal. They were showing it there just to give it a bit of exposure among the indies and then they'd release it. But what I do like about Netflix is typically if films do get signed at Sundance, then they go through a very protracted process of then making it onto cinema screens and you hear all this buzz and then you've got to wait months for it to actually surface. I don't think this is the first instance of it, but I like the idea that there's much more of an immediacy of it where Netflix go, oh, well, the film's ready to go. We don't need to worry about promotion. Let's Mm. just distribute this thing. So, um, so yeah, it was, it it was almost a deliberate selection in, in that regard that, that there hadn't really been any opportunity for any sort of, buzz or word of mouth to grow around it it was really one that we could go in almost completely objectively and form a, a genuinely independent opinion on a, opinion on they're not well, an opinion is opinion is um well the director really doesn't give me any any kind of direction to go in in terms of oh am, am i a fan of his earlier stuff i think i've actually even seen any of his early stuff um i heart huckabee is just the one that i've heard of but i haven't actually seen it it's he co-wrote those, it, it was yeah. david o russell directed mm, it yeah. um I, I was a fan of it at the time i don't know if it stands up now mm. um the the film that really seems to have brought him to notoriety was the previous one also starring Alison Brie, i believe called the little hours right which is about uh, a guy who is i think he stumbles upon a convent who is brought into a convent right and he um awakens sexually these uh, <laughs> foul-mouthed nuns, <laughs> right? Okay, uh, and it and it is played for laughs, and it's Alison Brie and um, Aubrey Plaza, I believe. There's a few familiar faces yeah. in there. I, I think Molly Shannon might be in that right, too. Right. That's mm. purely off the top of my head, and probably completely wrong. Well, there's also um, Life After Beth. 
Another with, Aubrey uh, Plaza. Yeah, with Aubrey Plaza, who is his um, current beau. Oh, with her an item. With her an item. Um, if that... Uh, if that matters, does it matter? I don't know. Well, it, um, funnily enough, one of my first observations with this film was that it reminded me of, um, I think, the first film I saw starring Aubrey Plaza, which was Safety Not Guaranteed. Yes. Directed by Colin Trevorrow. He of now Jurassic World and being kicked off. <laughs> Star Wars. We, we already got whoa, there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, no, we've had two episodes where we haven't mentioned Star Wars. Well, at all. Yeah, at all, yeah. Miraculous. So we've gone back in there. But that also has um, a Duplass brother. In it. it also has a deep well, but yeah. it, that's Mark, isn't it? Who yeah. plays the mm-hmm. is he, isn't he building a time travel machine? Exactly. Um and um and yes, and um uh yeah, also thank you thank you for joining us. The new listeners that I know we have, because we've had some new contributions what? uh this week. Um and also very female heavy contributions this week, which I'm very pleased uh to report. Um so we're going to go straight into uh, one. This is from Melly Mel Love on Instagram. And um, she says, I generally enjoyed this film, although I didn't fully understand it. This film was filled with uncertainty and kept me intrigued. I believe everyone has met, worked with, been to school with, or even lived with a horse girl or boy. I sympathise with the main character, Sarah, and I fully enjoyed Alison Brie acting and heartfelt portrayal of a young girl suffering with mental illness. Uh, the main character, Sarah, was a, was a sweet, vulnerable and lonely, confused girl struggling to figure out life while dealing with her mental illness. The film gave me a sense of helplessness and I struggled to keep up with her mental decline and was often confused with what was real and what wasn't real. Her mental illness declined quite um, radially in the film and I felt this could have been slowed down to give a better understanding. I found it hard to keep up with what she was going through, i.e. sleepwalking, was this real or just a dream? Why was she experiencing no nosebleeds? It all got a bit messy for me and unclear. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll dip back into uh, to Mel's, um, to Mel's review in a second. But um, yeah, this film I really found quite interesting in that, how it was released and how no one really know, knew too much about it actually might come to be one of the things that I find issue with it. Some of it felt a little unformed, mm. like it didn't really know what road it was driving down. Sometimes it was driving down something quite interesting. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I can, I'm, I'm on board with this. And then would sort of take a strange turn, which giving the film credit i think is part of the you know untanglement and mental divergence and and of yes. of, of the main character but yeah i wonder whether you know would there there is definitely a theme with some of the reviews that we had about like how how they kind of handled the idea of 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 illness and mental illness and and ultimately where i ultimately will kind of give it a pass in that mental illness very often doesn't make sense to people. So the film, I think, has a stab at talking about that. I don't know. I yes, don't know how I you think felt it's, about it. it's written, or at least co-written by Alison Brie as well, mm. I believe, who says um, it is in part influenced by her experience of paranoid schizophrenia in the family. Mm. Um, and yeah, I absolutely believe that. I think some people have criticised it for saying that it does start to lose form and reason and structure. Um, but I think that's a, an ideal analogue for 
what happens with mental deterioration and paranoid schizophrenia. Mm. To me, it feels like a deliberate cinematic device in that regard where the blurring between what's real and what's not leading to uh, an ambiguous ending. And I think some people who took the ending one way will find it quite frustrating and others will read more into it than hmm. than than is than is depicted on screen which i think is a, a, appropriate given what we've witnessed in the previous mm-hmm. uh, hour and a half yeah it's a it, it's a really interesting one um mel then goes into um to kind of break down the film thank you very much mel um so yeah i thought maybe we'd go through some of these points and um and sort of take them as they come um uh back to mel's words um flatmate uh, I was frustrated with her flatmate's avoidance, unsupportive and generally shadow communication with Sarah. She always seems to be in a hurry, couldn't tolerate her and had no time for her. The marks on the walls should have driven her to concern, yet she totally ignored the reason behind the marks on the wall and just instructed her to fix it. The strange plumber in the house was ignored. She seems to find Sarah annoying, which I do understand, yet there was no urgency to help and even talk to Sarah. To live with someone and not care for the well-being is actually more crazy and dangerous, in my opinion. Uh, what did you think of the um, of the flatmate character? I, th- I thought she was well, uh, well observed in exactly mm. that regard, and I think that's often the case. She wasn't a friend of Sarah's. No. She was a cohabitant. Mm. Yeah. Um, and she was deliberately closing herself out to those. She's, it was established that she wasn't a particularly deep personality. She had her own life. She had yeah. her own worries. This was another person there who was paying the bill. And I think we've all had experiences where we've lived in places, you know, with people who mm. drive us up the wall and they act erratically and they do stuff that, you know, we don't like. And we just go just, deal with it mm. and because they're not our friend we're not looking really any deeper than that we yeah. just we just think oh, fucking hell they're a pain in the ass i just want them either out of the place or to just deal deal with whatever issues they've got and yeah. go to their friends um and a, a lot a lot of the criticisms i've read and what i'm hearing are from people who are projecting their own values onto the characters which mm. is like where were her friends? Why weren't they helping her? And it was like, it was clearly established that she didn't have any friends, really. She yeah. had she had a sympathetic colleague uh, in the form of Molly Shannon. Excellent. Actress. Excellent, as always. Um, you know, working in the in the same shop. Uh, but it was like a sort of a haberdashery. Yeah, crafts. Crafting and, yeah. place. Um, but yeah, in many ways, it, w- it was a tale of what, what can happen when somebody is left untreated there is one scene i believe where her medication runs out and she decides not Mm. to get any more and you know things spiral very quickly rapidly after that yeah Mm. they they don't signpost it too heavily they show that they move on and then you kind of get the idea that's kind of where it's going and they they bring you quite well i believe into her state by very rarely showing things from uh, other people's perspectives mm. so for all we know when she's looking at the photo of her grandmother mm. we only know from her perspective that she thinks she looks identical in yeah, the photograph yeah, yeah. we never see somebody else i was expecting a scene where at some point somebody looks at the photo and it's a completely different woman yeah but 
again, I think that aspect might have been implied as yes, well. Yes, oh, so. definitely. There's, the, the filmmaker is definitely trying to shoehorn us into a certain way of thinking. And we we do, as you say, it's a great point. You do, you are taking Sarah's perspective on most things and making your own, you know, you're, you're almost paranoid for her and worried for her. And, and a lot of frustration of the film comes from you want somebody to reach out to her and you can see her frustration. Mm. Um, it's very much un, you know unreliable narrator territory mm, yeah so um moving on to the dance lessons mel uh, says her interaction with people in general seemed off and awkward i found this funny at times people seem to be freaked out by her loneliness i guess which um was an interesting point because i think the way everybody's so busy and everyone's got their own problems and everything and I think it wouldn't be remiss to say any of those individual people, and we'll come on to a few more of them, be it the potential boyfriend or the housemate or anyone, I think they possibly would have all assumed that she had somebody else in her life yes. that would be taking on the the worry. So They're all passing the book. They're all passing the book, but... but but in a way, not not in a negative way, just in a kind of, oh, well, I'm not very close to her. I, I, I assume that she has somebody else in her life that's picking this up. And the movie, I think, if it's telling us anything, is that there are sometimes these lost people that don't have anyone, you know, within it. And they're looking for it. And, you know, misery loves company and all of those kind of things. And people tend to distance themselves rather than get too involved. And I think that's a really interesting point of the film. Um and, and Mel goes on to talk about um, sort of the two kind of main people in the, the horse stable staff, which yeah. is quite a, a big bit. I, I want to circle back to, to that bit. It's obviously quite intense. And the flashback that she has about the friend that she visits and the accident really seems to be a crux point of the film. So I, I want to come back to that bit. But she was saying that the horse stable staff seemed annoyed by her. And I wonder if she was more she would have been more mental balanced if she was kind of welcomed and encouraged to visit the stables more often if they, you know, for the sake of just leaving that thing in the horse's hair, would, like, what would that really have done? Yeah. That would have been such a big deal. That was obviously a really big moment for her, you know, really. I understand that she probably was this annoying person around the stables and maybe what happened in the past, they wanted just her to leave. But I kind of think that was quite one of the harshest things in the movie, even though it was tiny. And again, the get out clause of, oh, somebody else should be looking after her. But I thought that bit in particular, she had gone out of her way. Like I felt really bad by that bit. You know, you, you get the idea that she's, she's tolerated by the stable owners. Mm. Um, she, the accident, as we see in the flashback, happened a fair few years ago. Mm. And it's something she's never recovered from and feels a sense of residual guilt for, for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't think she was culpable in any way, but no. she was deeply traumatized by by the incident. And so she no longer, no longer owns the horse. Willow, I think, mm-hmm. was the name of the horse. Uh, and obviously there's this new, slightly disaffected, teenage girl and when you first see her you assume that sarah is giving her lessons yeah but no she's just a a woman who hangs around at the stables Mm. and is just slightly intense and especially when you're a teenager a bit like 
get away yeah, from me. Sorry, who are you? So again, yeah. she's she's just trying to get tell her what's best for the horse. But you feel that with the stabilizers, she's been doing this for a long time. Mm. And maybe when it first happened, because they understood the reasons for it, they were far more amenable to her being around and just being present, despite the fact she had no purpose there. Uh, but as the years have worn on, she has grown to wear on them and is and has become a nuisance. And mm. as you say, it is, it is partially down to them actually being quite unfeeling and uncaring about mm. it. And if they had given her some reason to be there or just a job or a role or something yeah. to do, that maybe she would have felt more welcome and um, among friends, you know, it would have been quite therapeutic for her. Yeah. But instead, at every corner at every turn she's really feeling a, a, a general sense of rejection whether it's the desperation to make new friends at mm. her zumba class or with with her flatmate although to be fair to her she does try and get her a bloke yeah. when she realizes she hasn't really done anything for her birthday and takes pity on her um but but overall she like you say she's she's um She's on the fringes. Mm. She's always on the outside with everyone assuming that she has somewhere else to go, somebody else to see, uh, and that she's never their responsibility. And there's because there's no responsibility for her, she's allowed to go down this dark, increasingly dark path. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's... The film asks you some interesting points of view. There's almost something to be taken from all of the interactions with people around her. Uh, Mel next talked about the, um, the coworker um, saying that she loved that relationship and um, seemed supportive and, and generally genuinely concerned about mm. her. And Mel says that she kind of wishes more people had treated her character with that kind of patience, but moving on to the boyfriend, uh, the potential boyfriend or, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the date guy, um, you know, Mel said that she liked this guy. He had a nice vibe and kind of the right intentions. He t- tried to understand and have fun with her, but it got too much when they went to the when they went to the graveyard. Yes. That was a step too far. Um, and Mel said that she was hoping so desperately that he would stay with her and not freak out because you know we didn't want her to experience the, the breakdown alone. And you know, it invites you as a guy viewer to say what would you do in that in that case what would you you know how would you react in that situation and I thought it was quite realistic the guy was quite forthcoming and he was quite open with her and when she did she was definitely going crossing a line you know at that point it was it was a really real sort of crux point of the movie and uh, yeah I felt I felt really sorry for him. He played it really well. And actually it was quite interesting. That actor was, um, his first movie was in the life aquatic. Um, he was one of the interns that oh, follows right. everyone around and he's one of the ones who gets stabbed by one of the pirates. Yes. Uh, and has the, um, has the bandage on. And, um, I remember really liking him and he's, um, and he's got a really nice personable, um, way about him. And I think he was a really good choice for the, um, for, for, for that character. Jake. Picking is that who I'm? Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who's yes. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that scene was handled well. You you had that initial frisson when they were mm. the, the party and 
party obviously four people yeah the party of four and then she uh she obviously went down the alien abduction route and spoke about that and he was like oh yeah i'm all into chatting about that but yeah uh, you know on a very surface level but the moment he's in the car and he realizes oh shit she's serious yeah you just watch this slow realization going mm. oh no no she's she's really into this stuff this is not just a hobby this is a full-on obsession and so he tries his best to indulge it i guess to like you say to the point that most rational people would go look i have to step away from this now and he offers the, her the opportunity mm. to not leave her alone but yeah, yeah. then she just freaks out and they haven't known each other long enough exactly yeah. for for him to stay on and and be supportive for all he knows she could be dangerous mm. there's you know there's a lot of other aspects at play at that point because their relationship has been built on you know two or three encounters mm-hmm. at that point and suddenly she's escalated yeah. at an incredible rate at that point so um yeah it's it, it, it's it's a very sympathetic situation and um i think they strike the balance very well there without making him seem like he's being really cold or mm. um like in any way responsible for what's gone on um mel then goes on to say that she kind of felt that the film had maybe a few too many interpretations and theories with the clones and the alien invasions if she found it a bit frustrating not knowing what was real and not real um she said she wanted answers and the viewers are left to decide for themselves there's no real clear ending which is totally fair um again i think it gets a little bit of a pass because i think it's trying to play with the idea yeah. of what it's like to be disconnected from reality and you know we start seeing the her sleep uh states creep into her waking life and i think it's safe to assume that that's happened a lot more and as you say when the medication is perhaps ignored and they happen more often um, yes and that and that explains why she's in her mind stumbling from one location to, to another when she opens the door and she's suddenly mm. naked in the store yeah and uh, molly shannon runs over and sort of wraps her in mm. the in the material to, to to protect her in the same material that the lady had picked out earlier yes. on which was quite interesting yeah 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 and that kind of kept kept happening it was also a curtain later on that she was feeling as well we don't know whether she'd made it out of that so mel asked us a couple of questions okay to try and uh to try and um maybe make it a little bit clearer for her um who was in the care home? Was this a random friend that she used to visit? You know, it was the dark-haired girl that she was suddenly in her room yes. later on. Um, I can't know whether I actually remember what the, the location of that person was. I think we just assume it's a, maybe another person that she had been in the home with. or Yeah, I believe she'd almost conflated two people because mm. obviously she thought she was someone else and then she has a completely different appearance and it turns out it was someone that she believes she sees in the alien craft. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, she's obviously suffering from her own mental issues mm-hmm. and so when she agrees with her and says, oh yeah, I was there or whatever. Yeah. Again, you don't know if it's just because of her state that she's playing along. Yeah. And the reason when she lies down and looks to her side and sees sees her, mm. it's because they've been sharing a room all this time. Yeah. Can't explain the plumber. Maybe he had been plumbing in that place but she hadn't remembered that she had been to the hospital before i remember there was a particular yeah. line where yes. she had said oh we've met before and he had said 
something to confirm it, but obviously didn't want to push her on it. Yes. Um, and so I think that maybe she had been in and seen her in that room before um, and remembered. Um, ah, okay. Um, the scenes where Sarah is sleeping with a girl and a man in the same room confuse me. Was this a real place or a different world? I think this was like a nether world of her psyche where she was just sort of in a mid state of being awake and asleep and so it was kind of a dream state like lucid so, lucid dream exactly yeah. so she was seeing the plumber i think she saw because he walked past her store window all the time and she'd been kind of intrigued by him and thought you know maybe had poured in more importance to this guy so he appeared there and so she kind of tracked him down and thought there was more to their relationship yeah. obviously who her dad was and real dad was obviously played on her mind and that's why she was seeing the other girl there i believe she had asked whether the plumber had had a mental illness or or anything. I think that that's pretty much pretty safe to me that he was just a guy that had figured in her yeah. in her brain and 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 um and then she says where was Sarah's mother and yeah that was pretty I thought it was pretty clear that she had killed herself hadn't she I believe yeah. so yeah, yeah and uh, in in before and and obviously a lot of the um anxiety comes from the idea of a hereditary mental illness and starting to um uh, starting to realize and maybe you know coming to terms with it and you know i know a lot of people live their lives every day knowing that there is a hereditary illness in their family and whether they are going to deal with it now whether they're going to think about it now you know personally i've you know my my family have uh, heart problems when they when in later life past their 70s every man does and it's you know it's kind of one of those things where do I worry about it now? I'm not 70 yet. And uh, is it something, but it's definitely something that's there and is in my mind, you know, and I think that, you know, a lot of people carry around something like that. Yeah, you know, I've, I've certainly got, I think it's a history of largely back-related problems. Mm. Uh, my mother's got sciatica mm. and my uncle's spine is basically dissolved so yeah right now it's i'm sort of trying to preempt that stuff mm. it feels like i'm fated to yeah. it to an extent yeah. so it's all well, well fortunately i've got the power of foresight and i can try and do as much as i can it's to one of those interesting things like that you know that the, is it worth it the, like time travel stories and sci-fi invites us to look at these things in a fantastical way but everybody has little slices of those ideas like if you know what's going to happen in the future would you change it and hereditary illness has given a lot of people an eye of their future and it's like do they stop doing the things that they know will make it worse some people tend to just ignore it and just resign themselves and it's really interesting that fate and destiny thing we've we've talked about it before um i'm going to go to an unwitting contributor (laughs) Um, your, your, um, you put me onto this guy called, uh, Ella Dent, um, Andrew Ellard on, Andrew Ellard, on, yes. on Twitter, um, who, um, very interesting, uh, film, um, film sort of critic and writer. He does these great tweet notes on, um, yeah, he's a, films. he's a script editor as well. He's, yeah. um, I think the last time I saw him credited on something I watched, he was doing the most recent series of Red Dwarf. Ah, excellent. Well, he had did a poll today. Oh. And says, Paul, to me, Paul Reiser is, I'm going to choose, one of my two dads, just <laughs> mad about you, Beverly Hills Cops mate, or the arsehole from Aliens, 
Which one is he for uh, you? He's he's the first one. First thing you think of? My two dads, weirdly. Your two dads. You there you go. Can count on me, no matter what. Anyway, sorry. well, out of the hundred yeah. people that voted, when and Greg and Greg Evigan, of course, being the other of the two dads. The oh, I I don't know my two dads. It was I think they showed it on Channel Four on Sunday mornings or early afternoons, right. and um. I, Weird tangent. The other the other dad was Greg Evigan, and then for some reason on um, Stuart Lee and Richard Herring's Sunday morning show to run run Jeff this morning with Richard, not Judy. Yeah, yeah, that was right. a running thing where one of them was pretending to be Greg Evigan delivering these messages. <laughs> Amazing, so obscure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, he will always be the asshole from Aliens. Yeah, he's um, yeah, but and um, he uh, plays the uh, stepdad in this in this film yeah. and um really always pleased to see him he's definitely on my um list of if something i'm not sure about if somebody like him turns up i'm like cool okay cool i've got somewhere to i've got somewhere to live in this like I'm, I'm, i like i like him in stranger things as yeah, well he's great yeah. in stranger things they really played with the idea of him as a bad it, guy or very a, gray morally mm, gray character yeah. and i like yeah i liked his arc yeah that. he's he's interesting and in this film i think he's quite interesting um because she's obviously not calling him dad you don't get introduced to him right away um he comes to help and he brings up illness he says oh are you starting to you know she backs away from it immediately and you know who knows what could have happened to this character if she had reached out and had said actually i'm having problems to either either his character or, mm. or anyone it, it, it was quite interesting but that was another interesting point that he also gave her um money mm-hmm. and the um the plumber exploited that yeah very he, quickly yeah very very rapidly <laughs> yeah. and that, and you know that's that's another message of the film is people are very willing to take advantage mm. of people and they don't question these things one throws money at them they go well of course i'm going to take the money but again she's either being shunned or she's being exploited yeah i think there's there, there's definitely a context of this film that i think needs to be seen through americanize yes so whether it's the healthcare system um that doesn't have a duty of care in in quite in the same way that we view our own healthcare system um and just the distillation of capitalism as the only as the only pursuit that everybody is really in it for themselves to a certain yeah. extent, not necessarily money, but you know, there are only few people around her that they'll take her emotional needs on board to an extent, but not fully. And the dad, it just seems to be throwing money at it, you know, and, and the stepdad, sorry, seems to be throwing money at it. And that's his way hoping of it goes yeah, away, yeah, yeah. hoping it goes away. And, and, and I thought that was really interesting to, to, to think about um but yeah great character um so to go to a regular regular reader james buttress oh, i'm looking forward to this You're looking forward to this okay he, he got angry with me he on twitter for picking this film with you didn't he mm. um so horse girl a review firstly stupid title it sounds like a working title they forgot to change secondly worth noting that alison Bree's excellent performance lifts this from a naff soft focus sunday afternoon tv movie to something a little more watchable and intriguing 
Only a little bit, though. <laughs> Lastly, what a ridiculously executed and wholly unearned ending. It's like the producers wanted to make an ambiguous story about is she crazy or is she actually being abducted, etc. But what they actually made is an entirely unambiguous story about a woman's descent into schizophrenia. And just to fuck with us, they tacked on a ludicrous abduction scene right up at the very end. Up to that point, I wasn't necessarily enjoying it, but I could appreciate the film's commitment. And then they just lost their body and stuck two fingers up to the entire audience well fuck you horse girl this is not a good film it's a nay from me (laughs) just to add it reminded me of 10 cloverfield lane incidentally a much much better film no spoilers but another one that should have had the courage to not drop in the cheap reveal right at the very end right couple of things to get into there first thing don't come at 10 cloverfield lane's ending i love the ending i thought it was really good it was a point of the movie to spend it in one location and then come out of it and then go, let's see how crazy we can make coming out of that situation to be. Yeah, it was hokey, but I kind of like how hokey it was. So I'm going to defend it on, on that side. And uh, okay. Should we get into the ending? What's your, what's your vote on the ending? I think that basically she commits suicide and it's just a more interesting thing to put in a film at the end rather than her just, yeah. killing herself it's you know her lo- very final mental divergence is well now i can be taken away now whatever it is that's doing this to me can have me i don't know i think it's kind of more poetic rather than just her you know taking a load of pills in a forest with her horse yeah I precisely know. i don't think it was the oh was it all real and and funnily enough that's the safety not guaranteed parallel i had earlier mm. where i thought it's going to keep you guessing towards the end but I think when safety not guaranteed really did do the rug pull at the end and go, no, he's not crazy. Time mm. travel's possible. <laughs> um, this established much earlier on that it, it was never really going to be the case. And, yeah. um, uh, and yeah, I just, I just don't think it was, I don't think they bottled it in the slightest. I think, like you say, I think it was just a slightly more, um, poetic way of doing it that was, Again, in her headspace, what mm. she saw as a, as a release of being yeah, carried totally. carried away, you know, that's that's how she, her, that's how that's, she perceived it. That's what suicide was to her. What, what is it called when you're? Um, it's like placating or something where you're making it all right in your head. Um, so just you know, basically, that's where she had come to mentally, and that's the agreement that she had made. That's how it was going to end. I think it was quite an interesting way of doing it. For me, that is the only unambiguous part of the movie. Yeah, it was. That- it was. It was. It was. It was magical realism to a mm. degree. It was just a way of portraying something that could have potentially just been really harrowing, mm. and I guess giving it a slightly you know, uh, uplifting another worldly angle. Mm. It's it's not a, a happy ending by no. any stretch of the imagination. But as you say, the, the, the alternative is not something that you really want to be No, a part watching. of. And I think they actually make pains to go to it because you see a flashback to her mum dying and her finding her mum. And she's on her front. Um, and I think they made quite a big choice to have her... Uh, Alison Bree's character on her back looking up at the sky I think it was a real like well at least I'm 
accepting this and at least I'm looking to ascend you know and unlike what what happened with looking downwards I don't know why it kind of really made sense in my head but yeah that that was kind of my um yeah my, my, um, my take on it well as uh, annoyingly after, after what I said at the start I did um after watching the film catch the the Guardian's review of it and they said they found it troubling the way that it says there's sort of a, an inevitability to the madness. Mm. Uh, but I really think that missed the point of the the lack of support systems that were in place to to prevent it. She, yeah. she was seeing a therapist and uh, it must be said that Jay, Jay Duplass's portrayal, I thought the therapy scenes were actually very sensitively handled and um, felt real to me versus some of the therapy scenes I've seen in other films. Um, I think his depiction of how therapists have to tackle yeah patients and really use kid gloves when they're dealing mm. with them was 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 done very well yeah um, he did a great bit where he's like i just wanted to let you know that we i don't believe in that part of it he didn't he was very clear to be you know to break down some of the things that she was throwing at him quite quickly I yeah to not indulge really, it yeah. to, to yeah. Kind of be honest yeah he did a really it. good job and um uh, james also has a friend in uh Ishkra. Who, uh, who sent me um, a message saying, um, if we tried to think outside of the box, we could even say that she wasn't ill. I kind of liked her ideas of being a clone, alien abduction, etc. But I would only go as far as the boyfriend did. She sort of felt kinship with his perspective. And as soon as he realised, you know, in the graveyard, that's where you where you disconnect. So, you know, she found it quite, quite interesting. And um, the girl quick, clearly needed help, but her colleagues, her flatmate, her boyfriend, and even her doctors, um, including the psychologist, only pretended that they were helping her. She saw quite a lot of negativity in there, and she didn't like the ending as well. So I think uh, James has a has a, a colleague in in, um, in critique yeah. there. But um, yeah, I'm and I will say I'm not I'm not sure. Like I'm still not sure how I kind of feel about the film. It's weird, and I think to to explain, we had planned to record maybe a few days earlier. Yes, and I had I've been sort of stewing on this film. Quite and then I fell bit. down the stairs. You fell down the stairs. You had a fall. Um, I hope you're all right. I haven't actually I'm asked fine. you whether you're. I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And um, and it, it has sat with me, and I think it is just a very open ended. Like movie and story, and I think probably one of my biggest problems with it is a, a length issue. I think that it might have just, for the sake of tightening it up by just fifteen minutes, I think that this film might have been more successful in that it would have forced them to maybe make a few more decisions about where the film was going. It, it's at one hour forty-four, and you know my feelings—the magic hour and a half. I think actually would have benefited the movie if they had come at it maybe with a little more of a tighter view and got it i think it may have helped people a lot more is there were maybe a few scenes in quite a long few long cooking scenes of, of alison brie you know looking incredible as she always does but ones that sort of allowed us to be a little confused about where the film was going mm. um so yeah, I'm still not sure. Still not sure where uh, where 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 I sit with the uh, where I sit with the film. And we haven't re- we haven't really touched on her performance. James just bring up that you know she really elevates well her own material. I guess I've I've been I've gone from admiring her from Community and mm. those sort of things where she had a relatively shallow role to play, um, and then. I didn't watch Mad Men, mm-hmm. which I think you, you'll know of 
from first and foremost. Absolutely, but yeah. I uh, I really started to really enjoy her in Glow. Right. Uh, which I highly rate on Netflix. And I think that was where she really upped her game and went, oh shit, this... She she can she can fucking deliver, and she really you know goes through the gamut in that show, and then in this she I think she takes it another step further. I think this is I think for whatever reason she's always been slightly off the radar in terms in terms of uh, mainstream acceptance or being considered for for larger roles, and I think a lot of that plays into her character in Glow, mm. and I think with this film. It's acting as a as a calling card to say, "Come on, give me something juicier, give me something <laughs> meatier. I'm 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 capable of it. I can I can do this." I'm I'm a really big fan of of Alison Brie. I think she's excellent in nearly everything that she does, even right down to bit parts that she's played. She plays this character, as you say, in 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 Mad Men called Trudy. She's one of the the wife characters, and. Um, I really believe that she was originally in the film, in the TV show Less, but she's so good that they keep going back to her and she's in it throughout. And her her husband's character cheats on her, but the way that they handle that in the sort of stoic nature of the time period and how she very matter-of-factly, she's quite very prim and proper in the, in the film. She's, she plays it so well and she's I'm, I'm, I'm a really big fan of her. And yeah, I hope that she does get, get, get more... Um, get more kind of roles and, and bigger roles. I think she's, she's excellent in throughout in, in everything that she, I've seen her in again, she's something where if I see her in a, in a TV show or a movie, I'm like, okay, cool. This is, this a, is good. This is good. Yeah. a reassurance that, you know, this is, this is of a particular level um, that I know. Um, she's a very good eye actor. She's a great eye actor. Big, big eyes. So speaking Mid of which it is discussion quiz. It mid discussion is, quiz. It is a mid discussion quiz. And uh, speaking of Alison, that would have been embarrassing if it wasn't. To be honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know it definitely is. It's time for um, for a mid discussion quiz. Um, I will need you to help me with your score. We've gone for a different scoring system now. In this, as if it needed reviewing, hexadecimal. <laughs> Alison Brie, food and drink name actors quiz. <laughs> so, there are 30 points on offer. Okay. There are 10 actors, and yep. I'll give you three films. If you get it on the first try, first film, it's a lesser known movie with them in it. Got you. You'll get three points. Right. Second is where they were in it, but maybe they weren't the main character, but they were more advanced in it. And third is they were the main character. Sure. You should get it by then. So you should at least have 10. I will invite everybody else to let me know how they did on this <laughs> quiz um, and let me know whether the quiz form is an innovative quiz format. Let's see whether innovative... You want to say innovative quim format, then. Quiz format. No, definitely quiz. So we'll start off easy. Question one. Are you ready? Yeah. You kind of seem very... Yeah, I yeah. think I was just... It's, it's, you know when you go to karaoke and you've suddenly forgotten every song ever recorded? Yeah. The moment you said food-related actors, I just forgot anyone who's ever acted. Okay, well, uh, so yeah, so... Effectively, it's a it's an actor with um, food in their name, yes. and I'm going to give you three films to guess how they are, and you'll get a, a, n a number of points based on how quickly you get it. Nice. So, first one, A Few Good Men for three points. Um, second film, 
Apollo 13. Oh, God. <laughs> think of the actors in Apollo 13. I am. I can only think of two of them. Like, I could only think of two actors and a few good men as well. Uh, what's the last film? Footloose. Oh, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> there we go. So that's one point. One. One point. Oh, fucking hell. Okay. Question two. Boomerang. Oh, God. It's the first film starring Eddie Murphy. Yes. Yes, it is. It, Eddie Murphy is not a food. No, next it's film. It's a lovely snack. Die Another Day. Ooh. It can be men or women. Yes, I know. I'm just trying to think who was in Die Another Day. No, next one. Monsters Ball. Oh, Halle Berry. Halle Berry. And that's another point. So what I like about this format as we move on, because is you always get a point. There's no <laughs> Maybe. Never, there's never no points. Maybe. Um, question three. Capricorn one. Next one. Naked Gun, 21 and a half, The Smell of Fear. Next one. Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squads. What? Someone who's in both of those that isn't Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. It's OJ. OJ Simpson. Orange juice. Orange no, juice. No. It's a food. There oh, you go. It's a drink. I'm going to give you, well, it's, it is a food and drink name actors quiz. So you get two for that. Oh, thank you. Because oh, yeah. uh, you got it on the second one. Yeah. Um, question four. Uh, he's in Wayne's World in a bit part as the bouncer. Next one. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, Tim Curry. No, he's no. not in Wayne's World. Oh, no, of course he's not. But, um, oh, Meatloaf. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I hope Tim Curry's one of the other answers now. I can neither confirm or deny that <laughs> Tim Curry is one of the final ones. Um, Lawrence of Arabia. Tim Curry. <laughs> Um. Oh, go on. Next one. The bridge on the river Kwai. Go on. Next one. Or Star Wars: A New Hope. Oh, Alec Guinness. There you oh, go. God. Excellent. I uh, knew that from the first one, but for the life of me, it's the, it, is it the quiz format? Is it not? Is it not going over the well? The problem is because to- because I couldn't <laughs> think of any actors. Like in my head, I've got names like. Jeff Beef, yeah, Jeff flying Beef. around my head. <laughs> Jeff Beef, I can confirm, is not Alice the, uh, Lemon. You know, um, so every time you say Lawrence of Arabia, it's like, oh, was Jeff Beef in Lawrence of Arabia? <laughs> <laughs> so, question six uh, The Martian. I'm trying to think who else was in that name. Goldeneye. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Making myself laugh because I was going to say Alan Cumming. <laughs> yeah, food and drink. I think that says more about you than uh, than anyone else. <laughs> I am invincible. I am invincible. I've cracked the codes. What's um? Did you see that take on um on him that basically his character has come true? This like entitled guy. He's basically like a Brexit Trump. Yeah. Supporter, Russian interfering hacker, basically, character that seems so ridiculous in yep. Goldeneye that basically runs the fucking world now. Yeah. You know, from his server in deepest Russia, <laughs> you know, that we all laughed at him and like, what a loser. But yeah, he's basically bringing down the West. He's laughing yeah. now. Um, the answer, by the way, is Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Excellent. Alex um, Trevelyan. Yeah. Excellent. Well Alec. done. Um, question seven. 
Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Donald T. Rumpsteak. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen Home Alone 2. Next one. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Tim Curry. Yeah. Oh, he's in the hotel, isn't he? In Home he Alone is, 2. Yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, fuck. I should have just said Tim Curry. You should have done. Should just going. answer every one of these with Tim Curry. But you've used up your Tim Curry points now. There's Did you see Tim- the tweet the other day where someone said, have Tim Curry and Tim Rice done anything together? And his response was, your mum. <laughs> That's wicked. That's so good. Um, and weirdly, one of those people that I um, mix up in my head, Tim Rice and Tim Curry, I always have done. I don't know why I like him. I That's said the other day. You're thinking of Tim Biryani. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, question eight. Mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in the Scotty Pilgrim. Fuck. Go on, next one. <laughs> Short term 12. Ah, oh, fucking hell. It's Brie Larson. Yes. Um, How did I forget that? Like, when she sang that um, metric song. Everything changed. Just... A great announcement. What a what Wonderful. an awesome, awesome part. Which she uh, sang herself because she had a pop career before she right. became an actress. Oh, wow. So it's not just her lip syncing to metric. She sang the song in Is the that, film. That's a that's great true. fact. Excellent. Um, so, Lovely Brie. Sorry. Uh, question nine. Um, spy hard as a bit part as a helicopter pilot. <laughs> Jeff Beef. <laughs> um, are you going for the second one? Yes, please. He is a voice actor in uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. One of the crew. In Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Bill Hader. Mr. T, funnily enough. Um, Mr. T. Oh, T. (laughs) It's a food and drink quiz. It's uh, hitting hard. So, yeah, that's good. That's two. (laughs) And finally... As we crawl, we drag ourselves uh, the Revenant style to the end of our quiz. Um, Inglorious Bastards. Who's who's in Inglorious? (laughs) We go through the cast of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, Go on, next one. Interview with a Vampire. Oh God, who was that? That was Cruz. Was Banderas in that as well? Was he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kirsten Dunst. Next one. Next one. Seven. The answer is Brad Pitt. I, I was gonna say, is it <laughs> fucking Brad Pitt? And I was gonna make, I, I was gonna make a shit joke about like, is it Brad Pitt Q Company Bull Park or something like that? Brad Pitt. That's Brad Pitt. One. Yeah, yeah. Three points. <laughs> Just for that absolute fucking. Got to get that pun in there at the end. Front of a Brad Pitt. <laughs> Yes, um, excellent. So I got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Not including that last one, so 15. How's that? Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah. Pretty good. It's all right. My my 50%... <laughs> Your 50% ratio over the co- over the yeah. over the um the course of our podcasts has, uh, has stayed true. Um, let's do it. As good we quiz. Always, as we always do, let's go to Chris Schilling to bring us back. Bring us back down to earth. Fucking Brad uh, Pitt. <laughs> Brad Pitt. Um, an odd little film, this. It didn't entirely work for me, though Alison Brie gives such a committed performance at the heart of it. There's a tendency in films with mentally ill protagonists to surround them with people who are just awful to them. But everyone's reaction to Sarah feels plausible. 
from the kindly um, co-worker to the freaked out but mostly compassionate housemate to the would-be boyfriend. Even the stable owners who are less tolerant of her unusual behaviour aren't just nasty for the sake of it. But while it mostly treats her eccentricities with an empathetic eye, it never feels like it fully engages with her issues. I think the disorientation of the final act is deliberate, but it never quite carries the emotional weight that it should. I found the deliberately obtrusive score a bit annoying too. It reminded me of the way Birdman in 8th grade used music to amplify the protagonist's emotional state, but it seemed a bit too self-consciously quirky and twee to really suggest the level of delusion Sarah was suffering. In short, I invested and believed in the character more than I did the film itself. And a bonus nod to Jay Duplass as a kindly uh, social worker. I thought that was a lovely understated little cameo. Me and Chris, man, we 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 see eye. You see you eye. I see coming in, coming in with the uh, with the truth. Um, thank you very much, Chris, and thank you to everyone as 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 usual. Um, yeah, I, I, thinking about it in context of all the other podcasts that we've done and and everything here, I feel almost that I kind of want to give it a pass in you know going back to the idea that we don't really give review scores we Mm. give it either the thumbs up or a thumbs down and i've been thinking a lot about whether i am giving it going to give it a thumbs up or down i'm interested to hear what you say in the minute as well i do ultimately think that it is seeing alison brie go go at it and in particular the dance scene in the party i think it's brilliant it really really struck a chord with me Mm. that's kind of what i I love doing that kind of dancing i love messing around and finding you know somebody else that gets it you know rather than oh i want to look cool i love dancing a bit weirdly it's always been my been my favorite we've had a a weird dance or two together haven't we had a weird dance over the years um and um yeah i thought it was um i thought you know, good and bad films to kind of get into it for a second. A film that is boring or just does these things and doesn't make you think about it afterwards, I think is the worst type yes. of film that just makes you think I've wasted my time. And um, if nothing else, I think that it's, you know, even it is flawed, this film. I'm not saying it's great by any stretch of the imagination. I really do think that tightening would, would really help it give it a little bit of focus. But um, yeah, I'm interested in, you know, the the range of, of reviews that people have given. And yeah, I think I ultimately do, or, you know, I always do, but they agree with Chris in that it's definitely quite a lot about about Alison Alison Brie. She yes. carries it and she takes us through the whole the whole thing. And I think, her connectivity to the to the issues at hand really help i think it's a very stylistic choice for it to go so so kind of crazy one of a better word at the end and we start doubting yourself and paranoia and, and anxiety and i think you know as someone as i know that you've you've come across these issues in your life before and and anxiety just does not play by the same rules as everything else. It's so no. easy to go, oh, just don't worry about it or no, try exactly. not to worry about things so much and oh, just snap out of it or any of these things that we do. But when you really look deep down inside yourself, some of 
the anxiety that this film talks about. Everybody's had a level of that. And maybe it's just a kind word from someone or a hug from a person at just the right time. And I will say, putting myself fully out there, that has happened with me where I've been so worried about something and just needed that connection with somebody. And I'm lucky enough that that has happened to me in, in my life. And I think that this film, ultimately, if you were to distill it down, it's like, what if you didn't have that person? What if you just kept on not having that connectivity with somebody? What would happen? And I think this film talks to that perhaps unsuccessfully, you know, but I think it still is attempting to talk about it. And I, I think it's interesting in that regard. I, th- I think Chris hits the nail on the head, though, where it doesn't go down the predictable path of everybody being horrible. And that's what sends her into the you know, in, into the depths of despair, which is pretty much what Joker did. And I, I personally enjoyed Joker for what mm. it was, which was, you know, a comic book movie with, with aspirations, mm. not not much more than that. Whereas this was a far more, um, to, to, to a point, nuanced exploration of mm. how just inaction can actually be just as damaging. Exactly. You don't, yeah. when, you, when you do have to live with with these uh with these mental issues it's not always a case of people pushing you over the edge and things like that it's it's more that they they just allow you to indulge them and don't get in the way of them or reassure you or provide any love or comfort mm. or, or things that just steer your mind away from those those dark alleys from time to time it's a thousand cuts, isn't it? Mm-hmm. No one person is responsible for anything that happens. No, it's a cumulative, in, in it's a cumulative yeah. thing. And, um, and uh, you know, actually, weirdly, inversely, one of my anxiety centers comes from just feeling that you never know what other people are bringing to the table. Like, you think somebody like this character that you could just bump into in a store doing a relatively menial task you just don't know what stuff they have going on I always feel quite worried about those things and and you know feeling like on the lookout for those things and a lot of this movie is also and uh, we'll get into it in, in with, with the next review um is it's very easy to say oh if only she had reached out but it's it's almost like a game of chicken, a continual mental game of chicken. Where it's quite a victim-blaming mentality as well, isn't it? You're, you, it, it? But you're wanting someone to notice you. And the whole point and your anxiety is based in the fact that nobody's noticing you. The very act of reaching out and saying, I want you to notice me, I want you to see I have a problem, doesn't solve it because they're not giving you what it is that you're actually requiring is for somebody to reach out to you without you reaching out to them it's i don't know what i'm explaining no no you're right it's 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 got to be unprompted Mm, for it to mean to have the requisite meaning you know and i think in particular that's what i do you know sympathize with but um for someone to go i see you i I see see what you're going through and i'm here for you but and that's it because when she reaches out because of the way she is in her awkwardness which is what she's trying to do at the Mm. summer class and trying to get you know, the instructor to have a drink with her or something. It, it just comes off as a bit desperate from their perspective. Mm. Uh, and that's because it is desperate, but not desperate in a sad, awkward way. It's desperate in a kind of like, I, I need a connection. I need to make a connection. And and it's it, it, 
to bring it back for a second, I mean, you know, we're an, you know, an, an hour in, so it's not really an, an ad in any kind of way. But one of the reasons for doing this podcast was had to have these multi layers of, you know, it means I get the chance to talk to you more mm-hmm. regularly and have a nice, you know, connection with you. But at its very core, this is about trying to give an outlet to people so they don't feel like they're alone like i'm not here we're not doing this to make money or to get ads in or this podcast is not about any of those things anyone can what see us on twitter see what film we're doing and contribute there's no barrier to entry there's no you know there's no oh i'm not gonna include you you know I just think I, I want everyone to have this sense of that they can be part of something. You know, it's available in the same place that every other podcast is. There's no barrier that means that you can listen to ours and can't listen, you know, or can't listen to ours. And part of one of the things that I clued into about this movie is actually something that this podcast is supposed to be about is that you're not alone you know you can you know there there are places if you look for it that you know that we will you know that people are willing to hear what you have to say and hear and and put these things out there so i kind of i'm really glad that we did cover this one yeah i i I am too and i think i think it's good to, to to also just watch these unknown quantities to watch these outliers i think as you say we may have fallen in the trap of having at least some degree of preconceived mm, bias about the quality definitely. of the film. And I think we've almost been on too much of a, a gushing run so <laughs> far, which is like, oh, this thing's brilliant. This thing's brilliant. You know, I like that. I like the fact that it's, I'm, I'm sensing a thumbs up, but far more cautiously than yeah. maybe we've, we've had before. Um, I, I, I like the fact it's been divisive because I like films. <clears throat> I like films that divide audiences because it's really interesting to hear um, how other people have interpreted moments of it or, mm. oh, you know, just just other perspectives. And and sometimes people just like to have their viewpoints reinforced and like to be, they're comforted by the fact that everyone feels the same way. Yeah. But sometimes I like it when someone like James, for example, turns around and goes, horse girl, horse shit, more like, you know. <laughs> um, I, I enjoy that. I, I think sometimes... You can feel like you're in a bubble, and everyone's just like, "Oh, it's brilliant!" And it's just, yeah, nice when a film like this comes along, and you know, ten people watch it, and you get ten different interpretations on the other side of it. Yeah, well, James is our resident old man shouting at a cloud, isn't he? Which I quite like. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but let's go. He'll to- hate that. He's younger than me. <laughs> but let's go to uh, to Megan, our resident uh, Mary Whitehouse. Um, 24-year-old going on 44-year-old. Um, <laughs> Megan says... I hope you know her, otherwise <laughs> what you've just said about being all-inclusive has just been defenestrated. Well, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong. It's inclusive <laughs> to give people a dig in the ribs. Um, Megan says, this is a weird movie and just gets more bizarre as the story developed. I kind of didn't really like the alien music throughout. The... Um, the throat doctor shouldn't have let her walk out of the room without checking that she's okay. He could have prevented the escalation. We didn't talk about that character. Mm. She goes to see someone quite early on, and it is quite obvious where he sees the bruises on her side. Yeah. That something is happening, and he didn't escalate. I kind of, I mean, whether I'm being overly patriotic and Brexity here, but I think that there wouldn't have been a doctor in this country that would have let that 
go if they'd have brought it up i kind of every you know every interaction with the nhs has been that they've almost been like i now cannot let that go yeah it's now i have a duty of care to see that through i'm really not sure about the medical hierarchy in that regard if you go and see an ear throat and nose specialist Mm. and then they notice a bruise on your hip yeah i don't know i mean the, the least they can do is yeah, advise, advise you on yeah. who to see, but which is what he does. Yeah, it's an interesting. He's, one. he's like, this isn't really my. He's like, I know something's wrong here, but again, it could also, as you say, be a comment on the American healthcare system. And it's very much like, well, I'm making my money. This, you know, it doesn't. I'm, I'm uneasy with this, but ultimately, the systems aren't in place that would allow me to really take this or escalate this any further. Mm. Um. Uh, Megan then goes on to say, as a viewer, when she's hospitalized and the room becomes dark, you start to feel you're ex- like you're experiencing her world as you're not sure what's real and what's in her imagination, psychosis, until it all becomes a bit extreme with the pink jumpsuits. The jumpsuit scene I thought was really interesting. I thought they were quite well designed. And to me, it seemed quite obvious that they were made from that material again. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And, um, and so that was kind of connecting that back in. She thought that it was almost like a tinfoil hat. Yes. That she had made something that was supposed to be calming as something that could help save her in her mind. Um, uh, is all the pre-story prior to her waking up in hospital with her new roommate, her imagination all the time? Um, yeah, uh, we we talked about it earlier, but I kind of feel that that's her netherworld waking, sleeping state. So she's pulling in bits from reality and it's it gets, a, it's more, a bit of everything. gets more dense later on. Um, was the girl who fell off the horse a necessary character is one of her questions. And I think that she is one of the most important characters in mm-hmm. the movie. I think that that part is a big reason for her anxiety. It's a big triggering um, moment. A really big triggering moment in that her love of horses has led to one of her most traumatic moments in her young life. And I don't think that she ever recovered from it. So she goes to see her, goes to, you know, they obviously have a friendship and they, and they, um, you know, have love, but these flashes of what happened, these flashes of maybe she feels responsible. I initially thought that maybe she was an old student, um, but, um, Vic brought up that there's, she's obviously the other girl yes. that they're riding around with later on. But I think it does play with that a little where it's like, she's viewing her like she views the girl uh, in, in the student riding her horse. Like she can't disconnect from that love, but still it's connected to trauma and um, unhappiness. I think it's really interesting. Well, yeah. And when you think about it in terms of her other relationships, that girl is the only friend she's got or has ever had. Mm. Um, but she's in need of full-time care and has obviously suffered a, you know, a, a severe head trauma, mm. uh, brain damage, it would seem, mm-hmm. from the incident. And so while she's able to talk to her and confide in her, she immediately forgets what's been said. And yeah. So on and so forth. So the one person who ordinarily would reach out, Mm. the person who would be there for the hug and to do that, isn't even present half the time. Yeah, you've you've hit the nail on the head. It's it's effectively for me that character is where her a lot of her anxiety is born, a lot of her dealing with other people because 
at a key point, at a key moment in her life, her friend becomes ill, has an accident, and did she have a period of looking after her? Did she have a period where she was ostracized by her friend group for maybe being culpable? maybe being associated with the damage or something like that. So you can see how maybe a period of time where you're removed from the social strata for just a little bit could lead you down this path of being where where Sarah is by the end of the film. I think it's really interesting and I think that is a, a real key moment. And, you know, I personally know I, I, I moved around when I was a kid. Losing friend groups and re-establishing friend groups, that's one of the things that really spoke to me in this movie where she's trying to reach out to her dance partner group her her zumba class as as you say it's so difficult because you're effectively going please like me but i want you again i want you to reach out to me me you know invite me in in and i will be the best friend you'll ever know but i can't reach out to you it's not part of who i am and i think that yeah the um the character that fell off the horse i think is is definitely quite key and with with regards to the title I, i do disagree with James that it feels like a placeholder or something. Part of me thinks that, well, obviously there's the association with she's the girl that hangs around the horse all mm. the time. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, they could probably say the title of the film in the dialogue, <laughs> but you almost feel it's like, it's what people call her behind her back. Mm. Either what she or actually her friend might have been called after the incident yeah. or how she's referred to by the, the, the teenage girl who's now riding Willow. Yeah. It She's just feels just like it's a derogatory girl. term that's yeah. being directed at her. You don't hear it being said, but there, I I think there is... um The title of it did resonate for a variety of reasons, and I just don't think it needed ex- necessarily expressing explicitly in the film. Mm. And... um and uh, Megan also says, uh, um, do we believe in extraterrestrial life as a question? Um, yeah. Because it obviously asks you to. Um, I think uh, it's just probability, isn't it? And the amount of probable worlds and distance and, and planets out there in an ever-expanding galaxy. There has to be, but the physics of travelling would be so great. And why would you, if if it's even a quarter of the expense that it is on earth to travel why would they make this trip you know what's the reason we certainly don't deserve it if there's any way of them knowing what we're doing down here or if they don't and all they're doing it would just be for the sake of exploration so i think yeah there definitely is i think at the rate that space exploration is going unless there's some sort of significant significant breakthrough i think most other planets that may have life are all in the same boat. They're all wondering mm. what else is out there, but I don't think they'll ever be in a position where that will happen. But for all we know, as is often shown in TV and films, there may be areas where there's clusters of inhabitable planets mm. that are all, you know, yeah. close enough together. But, you know, it's it's hard enough for us to get to our nearest neighbours, let alone anything further afield than yeah. that right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, I just don't believe in it in the sense that there are sources coming over and beaming people up and mm. that's that's their priority. It's like, no, that that side of supposed alien life, I don't, I don't buy into at all. But as you say, mathematically speaking, the probability that this planet is the only one to have life but also to the other i mean the other thing to take into account is 
how long it's taken this planet to develop the life forms it has in terms of the scale of of evolution mm. you uh, other planets could be millions of years hundreds of millions of years behind us some of them could be hundreds of millions of years ahead of us yeah yeah you know civilizations have lived and died and nothing's moving at the same speed either there's always this expectation that if there is another planet of life that it's operating at exactly the same timeline <laughs> as ours and they may be a more advanced civilization or you know because you know they'll they'll reach us first but largely it's not only the probability of of finding another planet with life but that they'll in any way be at the same stage as ours i also think that there's a inherent uh arrogance to that way of thinking you know that the you know that they must be these guys on two legs and they must be in a general locality to our level of evolution we're incredibly inefficient as as um objects yeah like our the way we walk upright the way we do these things the way that our life expectancy our lifespan it's it's incredibly inefficient so you know you look at the efficiency of a gas it's been explored in sci-fi before, but a, a super intelligent life would be some other form that could live forever for eons, you yeah. know, as in a, in a particular state of higher communication, you know, it's a, it's a, yeah, I just think that that's probably... We, we are obscenely arrogant. Yeah. Just, yeah. just look at Brexiteers. Oh my God. And at, at the time of recording, it feels like the world is just kind of mad right now, you know, and viruses and insane people in charge and potential new insane people being elected it just you know as i say if there is intelligent life out there and they have any way of keeping up on what we're doing i would stay the fuck Why away the fuck would i would like what would do we have to offer apart from this podcast and water <laughs> and water and um chocolate um and with that i think we're going to bring our conversation to a close yeah thank you so much everybody and uh, especially to the new contributors and the old and um it, you guys really help make the show again a uh, quick thing i wasn't sure how speaking about a film that we weren't particularly in love with would turn out but i think that's really good love it um great uh what's going to be your to, it's a, a thumbs definite up. thumbs up. It's gonna, me. it's yeah. gonna be a, it's gonna be a thumbs up. It's a watch with caution. Um, I wouldn't recommend it as the. It's not gonna be my film of the year. It's not gonna be in my top ten films of the year. But I think it's definitely worth a watch. I'm definitely it, worth I'm, your time. Yeah, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it exists. I think that's right. Um, and thank you very much, everybody, um, uh, for watching it. Um, a little quick recommendations catch up. Um, yeah with us if that's okay um i have a couple i'll go through them quite quickly um my uh i've kept everyone up to date on my great star trek project where i've been watching uh all of um the next generation then i airlifted out of that and then got some of my friends to give me the particular picard focused next generation episodes to get me ready for picard well i have now moved on to picard i'm now three episodes in um i'd say this is not the best project in the world it's good 
But the thing I like most about it now, and for, through all of the Star Treks that I've seen, is this Picard is effectively just like, fuck you if you don't like Star Trek. We're now going deep in with like references and things that you need to have seen the show to understand. You need to have seen um, Deep Space Nine. You need to have seen the movies. And it's just not messing around anymore, which is something that J.J. Abrams definitely suffered with with his movies and that the shows to a certain extent did, where they've had to try and bring people in. Whereas I feel Picard is the first one where they've just been like, nah, nah. Either you're in or you're out. This is for the, this is this for is the, the hardcore. The, yeah. the, the, the engaged, you know, for, for, for one engaged, of those. Engaged, I like it. Thank you. Um, that should be Picard's fan base. Should they be, should yeah. be called the engaged. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's no time for anyone else now. This is it, you know, and <laughs> there is stuff to enjoy there. And it's, it's an interesting one. And, and weirdly owes more of a debt to Logan than I thought it would. Okay. You know, the idea of a post a post universe from the universe that we all know and looking back in a way, you know, they obviously saw the success of that and how they came at it. And the the fact that it, you can do it and it not affect the original. Yes. Like, I think they, like they, it's so late on in the yeah, game that yeah, all I the events that have preceded it can still exactly. occur unabated. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I'll keep everyone updated. It's probably the least interesting project for everyone else to listen to, but uh, nonetheless, I will. I'm riveted. Your You're riveted. It is. This is top podcasting. Um, so my real recommendation recommendation is for the Lemmy uh, documentary. Oh, I didn't even know there was one. It is brilliant. Um, uh, based obviously off the legendary frontman of Motorhead. Um, it used to be in Hawkwind. Um, it's really, really good. He's one of the last probably great, like, stars of of rock. You know, when Ozzy passes um, and he's recently um, confirmed that he is is, um, suffering uh, an an illness and uh, Lemmy passed away a few years ago. But he, his legacy for anybody who's been interested in any kind of loud music is undeniable and this documentary is brilliant it has these scenes with um billy bob thornton and um dave grohl where they're just sitting down and drinking (laughs) and it's like you've never seen anything what is it like to have a drink with dave grohl even if you don't like lemmy which you will you'll fall in love with him if you don't know him didn't they Um, do was it probot was that yes yeah yeah yeah, project with him and it's totally amazing i you know and i'm I'm a bass player, so obviously I completely adore <laughs> the guy um, and did try and play my bass quite a lot like him. So obviously I have a vested interest. But there's a, just a beautiful scene later on where he just um, he has a Billy Bass on the wall in, the, in his house and he just sings along to it. And it's like brought me to tears, man. It was so cool. Like really like the documentary maker just really did a great job. And yeah, I really highly what's, recommend you know, it. What's it called? No, it's just called Lemmy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's really good. I don't know who made it. I'm terrible with remembering documentaries. Is it on Netflix? Yeah, it's or? on Netflix. Yeah. 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 Definitely worth a watch. Um, very, very good. Um, anything you've been, uh, uh, well, aside from re-recommending Succession, because I've just finished the <laughs> second series and holy fucking shit, um, I've just uh, three or four episodes deep into Undone on mm-hmm. Amazon Prime, right? starring Rosa Salazar, who 
people may know from Alita Battle Angel. She ah. was the one who was CG modified to have mm-hmm. giant eyes. And she was very good in that. Um, but this, again, has a, a slight visual novelty attached to it in that the entire film is rotoscoped. So right. if you remember a scanner darkly, mm. yeah. definitely down that path um, where it starts off fairly mundane, but then starts to enter slightly trippier realms mm-hmm. uh, quite soon in. Um, she's uh, one of two sisters who is kind of squandering her life, doesn't really want to commit to relationships. Uh, it's clearly very bright, but is uh, just sort of wasting her life working in a nursery. Um, and she gets involved in a car accident and starts to see visions of her dead father, who's right. played by Bob Odenkirk. Ah. Um, and the reasons for seeing these images of her father become rapidly abundant. In some ways, I guess there is some thematic connection to um, th- this film, to Horse Girl. But whereas that is dealing with, obviously, paranoid schizophrenia, I Mm. think this is very much going down the path of uh, fantasy and Mm. dealing with other planes of reality and um, treating time and space as as non-linear presences Mm -hmm. and being able to skip back and forth. It's already done in a few episodes some really visually remarkable moments. The rotoscoping is absolutely top-notch yeah uh, i think it's eight episodes of about 22 23 minutes each because as anyone who's who knows anything about rotoscoping it's a really really painstaking mm. uh process there's a um, great supporting cast in there uh david diggs who i know uh, from a film called blind spotting i watched a while back who's yeah. brilliant in that um plays her co-worker stroke boss at the at the nursery um i, I don't know the name of the actress uh, who plays her sister but their interactions feel really authentic and naturalistic mm. the one thing i really like about the show is that it's really well scripted and everything feels very um real feels very credible mm. and just like genuine human interactions rather than feeling too forced and scripted awesome. um so yeah a real a real visual treat and one i'll definitely be sticking with for the duration so the name of it undone undone it's an amazon prime and exclusive amazon prime and a lemmy on netflix and uh, all that remains is for us to um, bid you all farewell. Um, thank you so much for listening. We will tell you on Twitter and Instagram. That seems to be quite a popular uh, way of uh, canvassing people. And um, I can be found what, Insta? on Insta. Insta, oh, yeah. Cool. On, um, uh, on Alex, 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 at Alex, 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 Alex three times without the E. And Dan can be found... Uh, at your nearest bar. <laughs> your nearest bar. Um, at Mr. Pointyhead. Um, and um, also on Instagram, but you check it less often. Use it. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I took it. enough pictures last year to even get my nine of the best. Yeah. That's how much yeah. I use Instagram. Not as, not as thirsty as I am, but that's, <laughs> uh, but that's fine. I'll be thirsty for the both of us. Um, we're thirsty for your reviews thirsty for your reviews and uh, really really thank you very much to um, to everybody and uh, we'll let you know the next one very soon and uh, bye bye everyone bye bye <laughs>